Thank you for being here. And a special thank you to supporters on Patreon who make this possible. The goal is to develop this platform to be the centerpiece of a series of live events, first in Australia, then the world. Online conversations about meaning in society are important, but another piece of the puzzle lies in building a network, a community of individuals who seek to be part of something vital, novel, transformative, but grounded in person. Music, art, spaces designed for getting to know yourself and others, to move towards tension, release, breakthrough. To have that environment platform challenging ideas, strange and powerful people, honest and intelligent thinkers, inspired artists. And for what end? Well, perhaps that eternal end of making the best of what we can, here, in this short time we share together. This will happen, but only if it's worth supporting, and the vision is built on your support. You can support Voice Club on Patreon at patreon.com slash voiceclub, while the best way to stay in contact is by signing up to the mailing list at voiceclub.com. There will be writing. There are certainly videos. These podcasts now are filmed, so... You can watch them as well, if you like, on YouTube. If you have Apple Podcasts, then leave a review. If you can spare the moment and the rating, just scroll down past all the episodes. Right at the bottom, there's a little review section there. It takes two seconds. It's really helpful. So that would be great if you felt like it was worth doing. Now, myself and Melissa speak with Gabo Mate, a renowned speaker, addiction expert, best-selling author, and much more. There's elements of this conversation that are controversial, but important therein. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. We are now recording, and I am sitting here with Dr. Gabor Mate and my good friend Melissa Warner. And it's a bloody privilege to sit down. Gabor, we've only just met, but we're going to get to know each other just a little bit now. And Melissa, this is the first time we've spoken since we were together in Prague. Mm, yes, we, Beyond Psychedelics. Yeah, where we recorded a few conversations. And the one with Rick Doblin will be already out by the time this is posted. So people hopefully would have seen that. That was quite beautiful as well. Now, I'm quite interested about what we're going to end up talking about today. Because, Gabor, I came into contact with your work, I'd say about four and a half years ago. And I found your presence immediately, what, interesting, powerful. And going over some of your stuff over the last few weeks particularly the last few days, I realized how much your thoughts on addiction actually did help me conceptualize some of the things I was going through and ultimately how to move forward. So it's kind of challenging always to know how to introduce a conversation with someone you've only just met and someone you respect so much and know has so much to say. And there's a limited time frame because there's a lot we could talk about. And ultimately what I'd quite like to do is not only get somewhere interesting, but hopefully further something, you know? Mm. And so, given... Are you sure you're not putting too much pressure on yourself? <laughs> yes, I am sure. I'm okay. sure. Okay. And so, all I'll do is ask you, Gabor, for people that have not been introduced to you before, yeah. who are you? What, what are you doing? Uh, somebody asked me that recently, and a number of people have said about me, is they call me a people whisperer. I don't know if you know the concept of the dog whisperer. It's a best-selling book in, in, in North America. And somebody who trains dogs not by coercing them, but simply by whispering to them. You know, in other words, treating them gently and with respect. And um, my view of um, 
human problems is that they all arise from an individual level at least they all arise from when we were children and infants when we should have been whispered to when we should have been talked to gently when we should have been held um, in a nurturing way something interfered with our parents capacity to do that and therefore people were wounded and all of those wounds and the defenses against those wounds arise most of human dysfunctions, most of what we call disease, most autoimmune illness, most cancer, most neurological disease, most depression, anxiety, ADHD, addictions, and so on. And therefore, if we want to guide people to healing, we have to um, go back to those early wounds and help people understand them and, and, and relate to themselves in a loving, compassionate way. And so when I'm doing my job well, uh, then I'm whispering to them in that sense mm-hmm. and, and, and know how to uh, get down to the essence of um, what hurt people and even deeper to the genuine self that has always remained intact underneath all those hurts. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I'm doing my work well, that's what I'm able to do. Yeah, beautiful. Mm, that's really beautiful. And I'm curious to know, when someone does come to you for help, how do you know what to do? How do you know to help them? Well, it helps to have a, ha- a framework, and I've just you know, articulated the framework. So now it's just a matter of um, asking the right questions uh, in a way that, well, no, that's not just a matter of asking the right questions. It's a, it's, it's a matter of uh, creating a sense of safety for somebody so they can open up and answer the questions. And as um, Dr. Stephen Porges, a wonderful American psychologist, says, safety doesn't come from a lack of threat, it comes from connection. From what, sorry? Connection. Connection. So safety resides in connection, not in an absence of threat. So it's when you get a sense of being connected with and you feel safe, then you can open up and then the questions rather suggest themselves um, just in the course of the conversation. So I, I can describe it, but I, you know, I, I have to demonstrate it. But, and I could if you wanted to give me a problem, <laughs> I would show you how I do it. But, but really that's all it is. It's conceptually simple and practically also straightforward if you understand mm. what the principles of it. I think what you just said there about safety is quite interesting yeah. and how to hold someone safely. Uh, I guess that's an aspect of how to hold someone with, with love. You mentioned before how in childhood often it's not so much what happens but what doesn't happen. Yes. So when you look at people's illnesses, uh, very often you can identify specific traumas, things that shouldn't have happened to them. And if you want to look at the salient example of it here in the Australian setting, just look at the Aboriginal population. Here's a group that um, has been has been and continues to be socially abused. Uh, recent reports about, I don't know if you've read them, but all these massacres of them that took place, more of them than was ever thought, and more recently than was ever thought, large-scale massacres of Aboriginals into the 1930s here in Australia. And the average Aboriginal child, I just heard a couple of days ago here in Australia, has a 24 times as great risk of being incarcerated than a Caucasian child. 
well um yeah i think we lack the uh appreciation of how multi-generational trauma affects the individual now it is and 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 it's and it's it's also cultural and social and so then is it any surprise that those people then would have a greater need to escape from all the pain and one way to escape for example is through addictions so 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 but but on the other hand as you said it's not just bad things that happen to you that can screw things up. It's also when the good things that should have happened didn't happen. So, for example, in my case, uh, I recently read my mother's diary that she kept when I was an infant. Oh, wow. And I'm six months of age, and, and she's writing, and I just read this a few months ago. I'm 74, and I just read oh. it recently. And she says, um, my poor little gubby, she says, I felt so bad for you. My heart was breaking. You were crying from 3 o'clock in the morning but I couldn't feed you till five o'clock because the doctors forbade me to feed you except on schedule. And the doctors would have been so angry with me if I'd pick you up. And finally, at quarter to five, I couldn't stand it anymore. I picked you up and I fed you, but don't think I can do that again. Now, that's not a question of something doing bad to me that shouldn't have happened. It's a good thing that should have happened. Now, what is the six-month-old, not six-month-old, sorry, six-weeks-old experience when the person who brought them into the world, bore them for nine months, knows the source of physical and emotional nourishment, deprives her, deprives him of contact. And he cries for an hour and a half. Well, what's the experience of that infant? You know, and so it's just a question of the good thing is that should have happened, not happening. And in this culture, we see this all the time. And, and, and this is on the part of loving parents. My mother loved me. There's no question. So it's not about the lack of love in this situation. It's about the misapplication of love. You know, uh, when it comes to parents loving their kids, even parents who hit their kids and abuse them, they still love their kids for the most part. They're just doing what they know how to do. They're just doing what was done to them. They're just acting out their own pain and anger and frustration. But it's not that they don't love their kids. So uh, the issue of love is an interesting one. There's... There's the love that the parent might feel, then there's a love that the child might experience, and the two are not the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. Because the child who's being hit does not experience love. And a child who's not picked up when they're crying does not experience love. But that doesn't negate the parent's love. You know? mm. So love is a two-way street, and in some sense it's more connected than that, of course, because we're always embedded in environments, and we're embedded over long periods of time, and... But let's take two individuals, take a a child and parents. Let's say that the the child is older in their 30s and parent is 50, 60 or what have you. There's a sense in which both people then become responsible for that shared connection, right? And so you have, let's say the dynamic is one person searching for something that wasn't there when they were younger and the adult is trying to give that now and maybe... Maybe there's something pure in what they're doing now, but because the perception has been twisted, that connection cannot be made. And so there's a sense in which you're also dealing with, well, of course, you're dealing with childhood trauma and other forms of trauma, perhaps, but you're also dealing with the projection of the child and a misperception of what's actually occurring. And I'm looking here for a segue, actually, although we can stay on this, towards some other phenomenon we see happen in the world 
where people can be quite notable forces for benefit for so many hundreds of thousands of people now in a figure like Jordan Peterson, for instance, and then simultaneously a beacon of, for many, a beacon of hate. Mm-hmm. This is very confusing. So how, how is, that, is that example playing out there with Jordan Peterson in any way endemic of misperceptions? Well, so first of all, it's, it's uh, astonishing, uh, the first part of your comments, because my eldest son and I are just writing a book called uh, Hello Again. A fresh start for adult children and their parents. Oh, beautiful. And it's precisely about the difficulty of negotiating that relationship um, in adulthood. And of course, it's interesting relationship because in the beginning, the child's brain is barely even online and the parent is already fully developed. Mm-hmm. So there's a, and, and, and the child is utterly dependent and the parent is providing all the care. So there's an utterly asymmetrical relationship. And then how do you make that into an equal symmetric relationship mm-hmm. once you become an adult, but you've been programmed in a certain mm-hmm. way? You know, that's a really interesting question, and that's really it's a workshop that my son and I actually do. And in fact, on YouTube, you can find our names, Daniel and Gabor Mate, and watch how we talk about it. Beautiful, I will. Talk about it. But so, so it's working on that. Now, so that's one issue. But now what you said about Jordan Peterson... Um, He's a fascinating character in that his teaching comes down to individual responsibility. Now, individual responsibility is important. Mm-hmm. We should all be responsible for our lives. But is the aforesaid Aboriginal child who's been historically traumatized and continues to be discriminated against socially, and his chances of being incarcerated are so much greater. Can we just ex- expect him to be as responsible as a privileged white male brought up under um, uh, very comfortable circumstances? Or, or do we need to actually look at the social basis of responsibility? Can we not do both? We can do both, but we can't ignore either one. I agree with that. Yeah, so, and, and, and he does. Uh, th- that's the first point. The second point is, his essential message is, yeah, you got to take responsibility, but then uh, what is it, we don't look at what is it that makes it difficult people to take responsibility. And what makes it people to take responsibility is lack of uh, consciousness, lack of awareness. And, and, and in the way of awareness, in the way of consciousness, is precisely uh, trauma. Mm. And the third point about him uh, is that his advocacy is for parents to bring up kids that fit into society. And so, in that, and so parents now become social agents of conformity, basically, in his teaching. And, and basically, you, you better make your kids into people that you will like, because otherwise society won't like them. Well, that's one view of child rearing. Another view of child rearing is that the essential child, is that the purpose of child rearing is to help people develop the individual potential their full freedom, their full capacity for independent thought, their connection to themselves, regardless of what society might think of that. Well, I think... Um, no, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, just because I didn't answer your question, and, and, and I, I realize I'm interrupting, the question of why he's a focal point for so much. Mm-hmm. Um, he says true things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and he is very articulate and very, a very astute debater. But there's always a subtext. There's the text and there's the subtext. And the text, 
He's very good at defending and articulating the text. But what is the subtext? There's a kind of anger in him. There's a kind of um, disdain for him, for people who challenge um, uh, the social um, structure. There's a attacking energy in him. He's always seeing conspiracies of Marxist intellectuals who are out to get him. Well, I'm a Marxist intellectual. I'm not out to get him. I just don't agree with him. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I think he represents a, a socially retrograde political tendency. And he speaks to people's um, frustration and their, and their um, repression. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the subtext that I pick up on. And I can't prove that. But on, very, on a gut level, I'm really, I really see it. And, of course, if I parsed his writing, I could give you more examples. But I'm telling you, that's my sense of the guy. Yeah. I, I think appreciate. he, yeah, he I, yeah, I appreciate that point of view too. I think what he's doing is he's meeting an unmet need in society for meaning and for the, for the concept of personal transformation, which yeah. is transformation is something, you know, uh, someone who's involved with psychedelics, involved with trauma work, we know that it's possible. We know that people can transform and that they um and that a lot of people do need it but a lot of other people in society can get very stuck in their conception of themselves in patterns of behavior that no longer serve them and they don't really have the ability to both or maybe one of see the pattern they're in or once they see it how to even change it i think this is definitely underlying your work with trauma and mm-hmm. with and with addiction both having outcomes in which someone repeats the same behavior again and again the traumatized person finds himself in the same situation again and again the addict finds themselves relapsing and going back to the drug again and again despite their best intentions yeah well so let's grant which i'm free to do that peterson has good intentions he has good intentions he wants to liberate people so do I. The question is, how best to go about it? And what's in the ways of people's uh, capacity to be free? Now, th- there's a book written um, in the 1980s by a Swiss psychotherapist called Alice Miller entitled The Drama of the Gifted Child, which is the first, one of the f- first seminal books on the impacts of childhood trauma. The German title of the book, the original title was Prisoners of Childhood. Yes, I like that name. Yeah, better. So it's a much better name. And and by gifted child, by the means she means the sensitive child. But regardless, the prisoners of childhood is a much more accurate title. And fundamentally, we're all prisoners of childhood. And looking at myself, and uh, looking at Peterson, and looking at almost anybody in the society, we're all prisoners of our childhoods. We are very much um, programmed by what happens to us early in life, and 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 and. And basically, so much of our, as I said earlier, our dysfunctions are, are, arise out of coping mechanisms to deal with what happens to us. So addiction, for example, is not a moral choice. Just to say to an addict, take responsibility, well, that's nice. It's interesting how that discussion has evolved. We went from, as a society, believing that, yes, addicts had a, were just making a choice, a bad choice again and again, yeah. and therefore a lack of compassion was expected then we sort of had the conception that addiction is a brain disorder that it's just a chemical imbalance a disease right well and and so i just spoke here in melbourne two days ago to 
a group of judges and lawyers and advocates and court workers on addiction. And, and, and the legal approach to addiction is based on the absolute misperception that it's just some kind of a cha- choice. So people are making a negative choice, at least a, society that, a choice that society regards as negative, then we punish them for it. And that's, the whole legal system is based on that mm. utterly unfounded idea that addiction is a choice, and the addict should just take responsibility for it. Now, yes, we would like the addict to take responsibility, but let's ask the question, what's in the way of that? And if we actually recognize that all addictions are coping mechanisms, like I'm sure everybody in this room has had some addiction to something or other at some time, some behavior that they craved and derived pleasure from temporarily suffered negative consequences as a result of, but couldn't give it up. Yes. I've, I've certainly had those behaviors. Um, but if you ask somebody, have you too? So, Absolutely. Okay, well, let me ask you this question, each of you, okay? Not what the addiction was to, not when, not for how long, but what did it give you? What did you like about it in the short term? In the short term, I liked that I could put off becoming who I needed to be and who I wanted to be. Mm, you didn't wake up one morning saying, I want to do something mm. to put off becoming. That's an analytical thing. I want to know what you got in the immediate sense. Well, in the immediate sense, it was participation in a short-term, competitive, engaging place of, well, competition or hierarchy that was at the expense of my longer-term gain. I was quite conscious of that for many years doing it. Okay, but what you got from it was engagement? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and some meaning? Yes. And participation, right? Yes. Okay, very good. And uh, yourself? I would say meaning. You got meaning. Meaning okay. and um, I guess a sense of yeah, meaning and purpose. Very good. So meaning seems important to both of you. Hmm. Not only is it important to both of you, it's important to every human being. Everyone. You know? And then the question is, why was meaning lacking in your life? That you had to engage in some addictive behavior to derive a sense of meaning. And that's where trauma comes in. So what I'm saying is that now if you, ask, if you talk to other people, they'll tell you that my addiction numbed me out. Well, if it numbed you out, why did you need to be numbed out? Because you were in pain. That's when you have to be numbed. Addiction soothed my, uh, my distress. It, it calmed my nerves. It connected me with other people. It gave me a sense of control. All these things are normal human aspirations, just as meaning is. In other words, the addiction wasn't the primary problem. It was an attempt to solve a problem. And if you understand why people had the problem, now you don't look at their choices of their brains, you look at their lives. And that's what I'm saying is that all these things are coping mechanisms. And before we just say to people blithely, you got to take responsibility for your addiction, let's explore what's in the way of that and what problem they're trying to solve. Yes, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, seems to me though, and this is just going to be a push and pull thing because oh, yeah. the individual responsibility is absolutely wrapped around the collective barriers or the the escapist experiences or the trauma that's blocking the capacity to take responsibility they they have to be wedded around each other because of course the individual is what strides out into the world the individual is responsible for their own trauma in ways that no one else is or can be because it's in their own internal world and that's right right so so what's interesting then is recognizing so Let's say you've seen the light, okay? Like there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and 
at the end of the tunnel, there's a dim vision of who you could be, mm-hmm. right? For Jung, it might be something like the self or the God image. We could explore that idea in a number of interesting ways. Um, or for um, Stan Groff talking about the stages of perinatal matrices, you know, you have the no exit stage and then you have the stage when the birthing process begins and there's a, there's a sense of possibility, although it's still incredibly difficult. And we have to be absolutely conscious of the environmental conditions and just how difficult it is. But nevertheless, when that image of a positive way to be is there, it seems to me at some level, there's a choice. There's a choice that comes along. It's an intention and it's move towards a love for, your, for yourself and what you could be, or again, move towards a, re- a rejection of that. And perhaps it's fear, perhaps it's, it's, it's scary, perhaps you're surrendering. And, and we should have compassion for that, understandably. But nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, there's orientation. Nevertheless, that's individual responsibility. And the reality is, is that we can get to a place in the world where people can be so powerful, actually, that their impact on others can be such that we do need to have a point in society where we recognize this was a decision that someone made that was towards the side of of evil, right? Simply because of what they are impinging on on other people by the nature of their inability to move towards what they could be that is good over a long enough period. You know, um, every time you speak, it's um, you, you, like you present the whole vortex of ideas and it's there's not a complaint or criticism i'm just commenting that then it's i always have to like choose it which entry point do i absolutely do, do i select here to, to you know to engage with you uh so let me let me, let me think about what you just said um well, do you mind if i reset the camera no, oh yeah, but just have a little... let's see where to start um yes there is a self uh that we move towards when we, when we talk about the healing of addiction, the word we use is recovery. Now, what does it mean to recover something? Find yourself again. You, you, you find something. You recover something, you find it. And what is it that we find when we recover? We find ourselves. Which means to say that, yes, there's a self in there mm-hmm. that, we, that we lost contact with. And the essence of trauma, actually, is the disconnection from the self. Yes. And so the essence of healing is reconnecting with the self whatever the by whatever means that's the first point yes i agree with you uh when it comes to responsibility though let's look at that word a little bit because you may say the word i may say the word for sure and we may not mean the same thing by it mm. so very often i'm not saying you're saying this but in in in, in employing the word responsibility pe- people often mean who's guilty who's to be blamed who's right. at fault right so let's just throw that one out it's not part of this conversation um, so the issue is not who's guilty, because I, in my world I don't deal in guilt very much. I just want to look at what happened. And even evil is a concept that I would. Uh, well, I know that's chucking w- it in there. Work gingerly with, but, yeah, yeah. but not that there aren't evil things. But I don't think there's evil as such. Um, but but in terms of responsibility, let's call it responsibility. The ability to respond. Agency. Agency, that's yes, right. Yes, that's absolutely how I'm trying to use it. Yep. Very good. Then the question again becomes, what is it that stands between people and their sense of agency and their, and their ability to respond? And, you know, Viktor Frankl, uh, in his mm. Man's Search for Meaning, concentration camp survivor, says that no matter what the circumstances, people can choose their response. 
Yes. And in that, there's a, there's a gap, he says, between the stimulus, which is the external event, and the response. And in that gap, he says, is our freedom, and in that freedom is our growth. Mm -hmm. But that's true and not true at the same time. Because one of the things that happens to the traumatized brain, it loses the capacity to respond, and there's no gap between stimulus and reaction. It mm. becomes automatic. Right. It, 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 it's, it's as if I tapped your knee and your knee kicked out forward. That's a reflex. You can't help it. You're not doing it. It's just a reactivity of your nervous system. Yes. And, 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 and people are programmed that way. And the more traumatized they are, the more they're programmed that way. So to talk about responsible in the abstract is meaningless. Because it, all, be, yeah. because, because it all depends on uh, who you're talking to and in what context. The real issue is that I think we would all agree on um, is that the challenge is how to help people move towards responsibility from reactivity. Absolutely. Like, what are the conditions that people need to move from that automatic reactivity to where there's really a gap between the stimulus and the response, and in that gap they can find their freedom. Mm. That's the real question. And that's yeah, the line between chaos and order. That's, I mean, Jordan Peterson, again, his framework conceptual thinking is, is, can be bridged here, but anyway. Um, okay. yeah. I guess what I, what I hear there is the way that we view the world is the world that we live in. Well, the Buddha said that. The Buddha said 2,500 years ago, mm. uh, the, the very first sentence in the Dhammapada, Probably where I get it from. <laughs> his collection of saying, yeah, there's nothing original in this world. Uh, he says that it's with our thoughts. Thoughts are in the lead. That they, basically, it's with our thoughts and our minds that we create the world that we live in. So if I believe that the world is a horrible place, I live in a very different world than if I believe the world is a, a benign place, and I'll behave very differently, and I'll be a very different person. It so happens that the person who said that the world is a horrible place, in so many words, is the current president of the United States. But 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 the Buddha didn't say, and so he's he's doing his best to create a horrible world because that's what he lives in. Now the missing piece here, though, in the Buddha's perspective, is that before with our minds we create the world, the world creates our minds. So we create the world with the minds that the world program into us at an early age, and the more trauma you've experienced, the more restricted your view of the world is, and the more limited your view of yourself is. And the more uh, fearful uh, your view of other people might be. So that means now you're living in from that place. And the question is, how do we restore, how do we overcome the constriction of trauma and restore people to true liberty, which is their birthright and their true nature? That's the, that's the question. And I think that takes a lot more than just telling somebody to take responsibility. Yeah, I think so too, right? Just a brief neurological fact is um, we know that through brain imaging, the, the traumatized person, that the, the areas of the sense of self are so quiet, so dim yeah. on an fMRI. They really have lost um, their, you know, that, that our sense of, our sense of self, our sense of what we, what we love, what is meaningful to us, where we want to go, our direction. That's right. And not only that, in the same imaging studies, if you look at the brain, you see that when people are overcome by um, powerful emotions, the part of the brain that exercises responsibility and choice, the midfrontal cortex, actually goes offline. Mm, so it's the same as for ADHD as well. Yeah, well, that's right, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah but ADHD is just one manifestation of trauma, as far as I'm concerned, having been diagnosed with it myself. And, and so, neurologically, 
you can say to somebody, take responsibility, but what if their frontal cortex is offline because it's overwhelmed by cortisol? So, again, you know, it's legitimate that we should support people taking responsibility, but it's important to ask what's in the way of that and how we help them get there. That's the the real question. And you have spent a lot of time with these patients, with with addicted patients in your work. Or with myself. Uh, and, and, Mm -hmm. And with yourself. Yeah. I find it quite interesting that you have explored this shadow side of humanity and therefore know so well how desperately we need uh, tools of transformation and how many people are stuck Mm -hmm. and could be liberated Mm -hmm. if there was another way. So I find it quite striking then how how you discovered psychedelics, which are tools of transformation and can. Yeah, they're among the tools for sure. In the right settings, liberate us from the rigidity of our thoughts. For sure. Um, now, of course, spiritual modalities, uh, pathways of all kinds, from way before the Buddha um, to the present time, have asked the same question. Ancient you, Greeks, you know, and and um, Greece, Pythagoras, um, Socrates. Um, so these questions have been asked for a long, long time. Um, certainly, one powerful and, in my experience, effective pathway. For a lot of people, um, not for everybody, is the root of psychedelics. Precisely because they get underneath the defenses that we built up in childhood. And they get to the core of the issues that motivate us. But they also can um, take us down to that real self that we've been talking about. People can actually experience their real selves. They, they reveal the true being, the fullness of the being. Absolutely. That can happen to people. Which doesn't mean that having something being revealed to you therefore you can now embody it so there's a, you know you can have these great experiences and, and 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 as my wife could tell you go back to being the same jerk that you were before the experience <laughs> unless there is uh unless there's integration unless there's deep immersion unless there's a practice around it but as a way of revealing these truths and and and, and helping people transform really the psychedelics are, are in the right context, and we have to emphasize that, under the right guidance, in the right context, right leadership, uh, right counseling, right integration, um, they can be extraordinarily effective. Mm, so you said a few things there, environment, uh, preparation, intention then, mm-hmm. integration, these are all vitally important to the outcome and how changed you are from a psychedelic experience, how how much you do recover from of yourself. And one thing that really helped me at your workshop at Psychedelic Science 2017 was the focus you put on the creation of an intention. Mm. And recently I've been going quite deep in Buddhist practice and I've been discovering that the same thing applies uh, for Buddhist practice. You're encouraged mm. to state your, medit- your intention to meditate each time you meditate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm quite, I'd love for you to share some of the thoughts and some of the reflections you would consider when recommending someone create an intention for a psychedelic experience? So, if you look at the root of the word intention, it comes from the Latin word tenere, which is to stretch, or tenere, to stretch. So an intention is something that you want to stretch towards uh, internally, that you want to move towards. Yes. Mm. So, like, like an agency. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's right. So, when you go into the psychedelic experience, you can just, I just want to have a trip. See some colors. Yeah, see some nice colors mm. and interesting animals, or whatever you want to do, <laughs> which sometimes people do. Um, 
Or you can have an intention that's related to your personal development. Now, somebody might go into the ceremony, want to get to know their fear, show me my fear, really get to teach me about my fear, or teach me about love, or teach me about show me my power, or, 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 or help me understand my childhood, or, or, or whatever the intention is. And, and it's not, um, when I work with people, it's we don't set a general intention for the whole group, we help people identify their intention individually, each for themselves. And the intention is not like a, a weight that you carry on your neck that has to mm. burden you. It's an anchor, though, that you can keep, keeps, that keeps you moored uh, in, in, within a certain range, and you keep coming back to it because throughout the ceremony you might go all these different states, and then you want to come back to your intention. Yes, an intention without expectation. Intention without expectation, without a rigid um, attachment to it. Yeah. I quite liked. I think you described. Um, Five traits of a good story from Chekhov. Do you remember some of those traits? <laughs> yes, I talked about that, uh, and 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 quite possibly, if I looked on my cell phone, I would find it. But I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Trouble is, I, I give these great quotes, but I don't remember them. That's okay. I guess one. I guess um, maybe we should start to wrap up now. Four four minutes. We have four minutes. Interesting. Well, we've just begun, haven't we? Yeah, it, f it feels like it. There's quite a bit to say because it seems to me like, and just to tie the conversation back to Jordan Peterson here, and we've also been talking about agency and we've sort of separated that from a negative sense of responsibility that, yeah. can, that can hold you back. An image that flashed into my mind really is the similarities between, between the two of you in the same way that, you know, you're looking at one coin with two sides. Right, and that might be a bit too harsh, right? No, 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 look, but I mean, so what is certainly true, uh, I think Peterson has accurately identified, is that we live in a society that deprives people of meaning. Now, whether he would say that society is doing that or not, but that's what he's speaking to. And also doesn't allow us to connect to our needs or even recognize human yeah, needs. That's right. Yet we're here having this conversation. You know, we can we can recognize our needs. Yeah. Not I know I know I know some people I know some people have have a horribly horribly impoverished set of opportunities mm -hmm. that are that are that that we should have nothing but understanding and compassion for when as children they have to undergo certain behaviors that mm, prevent them but from. But not, not but not only that. If if you recognize that much, then the question becomes. What are we going to do about a society that keeps large numbers of people that way? Do we, do, do we just make it into an individual responsibility? Or do we say we as a society have a responsibility to do something to alter those conditions? Well, I, I, I agree with you. But, you know, what Jordan Peterson is calling for and what many people before him have called for, these are not unique ideas to Jordan, of course, um, is that the individual's proper role should be towards you know orienting towards the health of the society towards differentiation out there into the unknown okay, so, so me, and back so with let something me, let, let me give you a personal question okay so as a one-year-old i was nearly taken to auschwitz and thrown to an oven that was the, that was the actual facts of my life nearly it didn't quite happen what responsibility would you like me to have taken for that when i was a year old no, I'm, I'm not going at things that way. I'm more just coming from the perspective that it's... No, no, but I'm asking, what would you have advocated? 
ad- advocated for you as a one-year-old. Well, I, I don't... What would you have advocated that a conscious person, an adult, should do in the world uh, about something like that? Do we just make it a matter of personal responsibility? Or do we say there's something really, really wrong here with a society that would want to throw a one-year-old into an oven? I don't think you have choice but to do both. Well, we have to recognize that a lot more. That we're not just individuals, of course, it, it, and and that and, and and everything that happens, it doesn't have to be as dire and as dramatic as the story of my infancy. But what I'm saying is that individuals develop in a social context. Uh, if if a, if as if as is the case, a black American woman has a greater risk of asthma the more episodes of racism she experiences, and that's just a scientific fact. Mm-hmm. And I can even show you the biology of why that's the case then is her asthma simply her responsibility or is it, is it also a manifestation of a social malaise that we're all responsible for? Now, I, I think you and I would agree that it's both. I agree with you. And, and it applies to other things too. Is my history of sexual trauma a responsibility of mine and only the perpetrator or is the environment in which such considerations of, of women and sexuality have been um, brought up in? Of course. I mean, yes, Conceived abs- in. Absolutely. So, so we are tight for time then, are we? I guess, is, is um, that, is that I, guess I think I, 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 think I could bridge. Please, um, let's, go, let's go another 10 minutes and then... I would happily do another... Th- yeah, yeah. We've got hours to do here. This, this is too much fun. We're just going to spend our time arguing about how we agree. It's <laughs> a perfectly reasonable thing to do as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the difference no. is... You think you agree with me? No, I'm the one that agrees with you. <laughs> I guess I can think of one common thread here between perhaps all of us and yeah. Jordan Peterson which I think is something a lot of people resonate with. And it reminds me of something you said in um, Realms of Hungry Ghosts when you yeah. went to Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. Yeah. And you had, I myself grew up very disconnected from God, yeah. the concept of a God, even though my mom was quite religious. And you yourself said that you felt, having known your family's experiences, how could there be? Um, well, how could there be a God that's all good, all knowing, and all powerful? I mean, if he was all good and all knowing, he couldn't be powerful, otherwise, you would have stopped this. So, that, 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 that simplistic idea of God, I just never bought into. And a lot of people did not um, resonate with that, and also our understanding of science and how our, our storylines about God in, yeah. in, in the West are these books kind of falling uh, apart in their empirical evidence. Um, that's one kind of spirituality, this, this storyline and this uh, deistic type God. But you spoke of, a, of another kind of spirituality going to your first Alcoholics Anonymous me- uh, meeting, something along the lines of maybe you could share a sense of... Well, um, I haven't read my book for a while, so I'm not sure <laughs> quite what I might have said, but I can tell you what I would say yeah. is that um, spirituality is part of our nature uh, in the North American um, native aboriginal concept of, 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 of human beings, uh, human life uh, unfolds in four quadrants, the physical, which is the body, the mental, the ideas, the emotional, and the spiritual. And if there's not a balance between those four quadrants, we have some degree of dysfunction. And the more imbalanced there is, the more dysfunction there is. So I think we are spiritual creatures of which our ideas of God are one manifestation, but 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 really it has to do with the fact that we actually are part of creation. And that's not hyperbole or metaphor. We're actually a part of creation. Every particle in us that's in us has always been here. Yes. Since the Big Bang. 
I mean, we all come from the same matter. So for all our differences and arguments and hatreds and conflicts and so on, we're all the same thing. The subject and, is also the observer. Uh, absolutely. And so that, 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 that sense of unity and connection and oneness and, and, and that, that, that the individual ego is simply, a, in a sense, an illusion. And, and you certainly get that in a psychedelic experience. Or even in a powerful breathing exercise, you can get what an illusion the ego is. And underneath it all and subsuming it all is, is real unity. Well, that's just indisputable fact. Not indisputable because the ego can dispute everything, but it is a fact. And, and so spirituality for me does not exhaust itself in the idea of a religion or, or a god or a set of practices, but it's actually that um, our, 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 our longing and our finding of that unity. Yeah, I want to bring up also the word, you said creativity. Yeah, yeah and I want to share the entomology of a word now, since I yeah. noticed you, hey. I, I really appreciate that you do that, and I like it too. So the word creativity comes from to have grown. Hmm, is that right? Yes. Okay. To have grown. And so, you know, growth is, is a process that right. you engage with, right. a process of transformation. And so I guess what the other element, in my sense of spirituality, is uh, engaging in a process of transformation. And uh, that can be, I, I think the line that I was thinking of before in your book was something along the lines of um, creating within yourself whatever you perceive to be godlike. Well, the Bible doesn't say by accident that we're created in God's image. And, and uh, so in that sense, that God is the creator. And so in that sense, so are we. And um, I didn't know that source of the word but you know I, I can see why it would be compelling to, to, to look at it that way yeah i guess i uh, yeah slightly i think we're probably all familiar with the fact that psychedelics also enhance creativity in fact i guess what coming out of trauma is coming out of addiction it requires a great sense of well creativity. careful about that careful about that one because there's been a study that says that psychedelics don't enhance creativity that that people think that it does but it doesn't i think, actually, I think it, it depends which metric there's two is um con, okay. there's divergent thinking and convergent thinking both okay. being really important parts of the creative process this was yeah. done with ayahuasca okay it was found that it increased divergent thinking. Which means, divergent thinking means what? Divergent thinking is generation of many new novel ideas. Okay. It's uh, sort of brainstorming. It's uh, coming up with as many possible solutions, whereas okay. convergent thinking is, being, is selecting one. I see. And moving forward with it. And in terms of um, personality, we know that divergent thinking is correlated to having openness, high openness to experience. We also know that Convergent thinking actually tends to rely not so much on personality, but more on logic and reasoning. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense then that psychedelics would increase divergent thinking, right. but not really have an effect on uh, convergent. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that, so we have a choice to make now because yeah. I could either reset the camera and we could do a little bit more, or it could be time to wrap up. I'm afraid it's time to it's go. It's time to wrap up. I have an engagement, as much as I'd like to continue. Well, beautiful. Some other time. Beautiful. Let me just say one final thing, which is just that even with the discussion of spirituality at yeah. the end there, and even with uh, alluding to the the fact of our experience that the ego can dissolve and yeah. calls for some people to name it illusionary, yeah. nevertheless, we're still talking about a sense of agency towards the self. Absolutely. Right? And so you can move forward or move away from, you can bury your head or you can be with it and move towards it, right? And for me, it's 
it's that fundamental spiritual reality of our experience that is a core part of the responsibility message. And it's for that one, one reason amongst many that Jordan's work in providing people a toolkit at different level of analysis in which to recognize their agency in their life towards the better is having a positive effect. So even there's a bridge there in the nature of the spiritual. Well, look, I'm not sure I fully understood again everything you just said, but what I see is that this particular guy has had quite an effect on you and uh, you find something enlivening his message, more power to you. Um, I, again, would be much more interested when somebody bears their heads, as you put it, I'd be much less interested in judging them for it as in asking why. And, 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 and what is it that in their experience makes them so afraid? And how can we help them lift their heads again rather than just to issue an injunction that they should take responsibility? So mm. the, 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 I'm, I'm very interested in the question of why. And uh, <clears throat> so this is my, my method is always is never to give prescriptions. I, I would not write a book called The Twelve Rules for Life to prescribe people how they should live their lives. I'd be much more interested in the inquiry of what is it that's in the way. Curiosity. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And I think it's a cycle anyway. And yeah. there's so much more to talk about. Um, one one, one little quick question is yeah, what yeah. I like to ask at the end. Yeah. Is if you could share um, one, one meme out with the world that would spread through humanity, what would it be? Could be just a sentence, could be even a quote. Well, it's, it's quite thematic for what we've been talking about, and it's, it's Socrates. It's, it's a cliché, but it's also the greatest cliché there is. He says, the unexamined life is not worth living. And uh, it's a question of really examining, really inquiring what's going on, and whether it's Hitler or Jesus, what makes the one one way, what makes the other the other way, and everything else in between. So for me, it's all a matter of inquiry. Yeah, what makes you you? Thank you, Melissa. It's lovely to see you again. Gabor, um, thank you very much. My, my, my real pleasure. pleasure. My great pleasure as well. Thank you for listening. And really a special thank you to supporters on Patreon who make this possible. The goal is to develop this platform to be the centrepiece of a series of live events, first in Australia, then the world. Online conversations about meaning in society are important. But another piece of the puzzle lies in building a network, a community of individuals who seek to be part of something vital, novel, transformative, but grounded in person. Music, art, spaces designed for getting to know yourself and others, to move towards tension, release, breakthrough. To have that environment platform challenging ideas, strange and powerful people, honest and intelligent thinkers, inspired artists. And for what end? Well, perhaps the eternal end of making the best of what we can here in the short time we share together. This will happen, but only if it's worth supporting. And the vision is built on your support. You can support Voice Club on Patreon at patreon.com slash voiceclub. While the best way to stay in contact is by signing up to the mailing list at voiceclub.com. If you have Apple Podcasts, then leave a review. If you can spare the moment and the rating, just scroll down past all the episodes right at the bottom there's a little review section there it takes two seconds it's really helpful so that would be great if you felt like it was worth doing yes,